Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the amazing grace that you have bestowed upon us, a grace that brings us into this place this day to worship you in truth and spirit, knowing that we need your grace each and every day, knowing that we need to be fed from your word so that we may grow in grace, knowing that this grace has cleansed us from all unrighteousness and given us a righteousness that we never could have earned. We pray, Father, that you would, by your Spirit, teach us this day. Lead us into your truth. Bring conviction of sin. Bring about understanding of your truth as we think about this principle that you have given us in Scripture that what we sow, we will reap. And how that is true for both the believer and the unbeliever. And we pray, Father, that we would look to you so that we might have the strength that we need to be able to live in this world of sin and to be used of you to bring honor and glory to your name in all that we say and do. We pray for the salvation of sinners that those that do not have a personal relationship with you, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would look to Christ and Christ alone who is able to forgive them of all of their sins and cleanse them and make them acceptable before our Heavenly Father. We pray, Father, for those who are unable to be with us. You know their reasons and their needs. We pray particularly for those who are ill and need your healing hand upon their body. Pray, Father, for those who are suffering and are close to passing from this world into the next, that you would comfort them, that they would trust in your great salvation as they pass through the Jordan River into the celestial city. Pray for those, Father, who are away, that you would watch over them and bless them as they worship elsewhere, and that you would bring them back safely to us. Pray also for those who would not be here due to lack of concern for their own spiritual needs, that you would bring conviction so that they might not forsake the assembling together of the brethren. Bless our sister churches throughout the world, and may many come to Christ this day as the gospel is proclaimed. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 and we'll read verses 7 through 10. Galatians 6 beginning with verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due seasons we will reap if we do not lose heart. 
Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. There was a musical rock band in the 60s called The Animals. Some of you may remember them. They were not one of my favorite groups. I hope I didn't offend anybody who saw them as their favorite group. But one of the songs, It's My Life, had these lyrics. It's my life and I'll do what I want. Don't push me. It's my mind and I think what I want. It's my life. It's my life. I will do what I want and I can do what I want. It's my mind and I'll think what I want. You can't tell me it's my life. I'll do what I want. I could say the name of their band is quite appropriate for their lyrics in that song. They were thinking animalistic. That's how animals think. I will do as I please and no one will tell me otherwise. But yet many individuals have that particular mindset. They think they can do what they think and there are no consequences. It's no business of anyone else. As the song says, I will do what I want, I will think what I want, and you can't tell me. Even though it's a proven fact, over and over again it's been proven that such a lifestyle brings misery and death. And man continues to have this mindset, which of course doesn't come from God. It comes from the God of this world, Satan himself, and how this world itself thinks. Now, man has a tendency to think that such things have no consequences because there isn't immediate judgment and consequences to their sinful behavior. There are things that they say and do that they think never will catch up to them. It may, might not catch up to them in this world. Things that we do that our spouse, our neighbor, our friends, our family, our church members, our boss, you name them, they don't know about. No one may know about it. Only you know about it. So we have a tendency to think that since no one else knows about it, maybe God doesn't even know about it. Maybe God is also blind as well. It's easy to be lured in this kind of thinking that God is like us. Things that we allow and tolerate in our life, that maybe He allows them also, and He tolerates them. But that's not the God of the Bible. See, that's the God of our imagination. And as a result, we have the idea that I can live my life as I want without any 
consequences. In this mindset, if it feels good, do it. Of course, permeate it back into 60s. But yet it's a mindset that continues into our day as well. As the animals sang, it's my life, I'll do what I want, don't push me. In other words, don't get in my way. And if you get in my way, you will pay the price for getting in my way. We see this so often today. I mean, it's a terrible thing to know that 132 police officers were killed in 2021 and 2022. And so far this year's, 37 have been killed. 290 have been shot at. See, don't get in my way. Even if you're a law officer, don't get in my way. But God says, it's my life, which I gave you. And in the end, you will do what I want. See, Scripture says in Romans 14, 11, and 12, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess that God is Lord. So, then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Now those are the words of God. And those are true. Whether we believe them or not, that doesn't matter. They're true. Every person must give an account of himself to God. Now, there's men that deny what God's Word says. They seek to dismiss it and they seek to believe Satan's lies. And some are very religious. Professor Clark Pinnock once taught at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary in the 60s. But then he began to become progressive in his thinking and became a rank liberal to the point to where he even denied the Word of God, and said this about God in hell. Let me say at the outset that I consider the concept of hell as an endless torment in body and mind as an outrageous doctrine, a theological and moral horror, a bad doctrine of tradition which needs to be changed. How can Christians possibly project a deity of such cruelty and vindictiveness whose ways include inflicting everlasting torture upon His creatures? However sinful that they may have been, surely a God who would do such a thing is more nearly like Satan than like God. At least by ordinary moral standards and by the gospel itself, surely the God and Father our Lord Jesus Christ is no friend torturing people without end is not what our God does. 
You know, Paul addressed such thinking as that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, speaking of those who think like this, verse 10 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they shall believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. See, there are those that even teach unrighteousness, saying that it's the truth of God's Word. And here we quite clearly see this played out in Clark Pennant's life. He was turned over to believe a lie. And there's a lot of people. You hear a knock on the door, you open the door, and there stands usually two individuals, And they say, hey, we are from, or we have a book that we'd like for you to read called The Watchtower. And we would like to come into your house and talk to you. And you try to shut the door and say, well, let's tell you something. You know, we want to tell you that there's no hell. Oh, wait a minute, see. That catches a person's ears. I want to hear more. And they try to deceive them and lead them astray. We've been looking at the parable of the rich man and Lazarus for four weeks, which speaks of heaven and hell. And we see the truth of those doctrines. But yet there are many people that deny those truths. They just cannot believe that there is a hell. Now, in this particular passage that we are beginning to look at today, we see that Scripture teaches us about sowing and reaping. And they're very closely connected. First, what do we see as far as life and its consequences? Well, our present actions determine our eternal destiny. We need to keep that in mind that our present actions determine our eternal destiny. Everything we do to some extent brings about reaping. We see there in verse 7, Paul says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Even our young children understand that. They understand that bad behavior brings consequences. Now, it's sad that many adults dismiss this truth, thinking that there is no punishment for sin, that everyone eventually will end up in heaven, or, as Clark Pennant thinks, annihilated. They believe the lie of Satan. Now, as we have seen over the past few sermons, Scripture clearly teaches that there is a place called hell. Now, we may not like that fact, 
as Clark Pennock doesn't like that fact, but that doesn't change God's Word. There's a lot of things that we may not like, and the reason we don't like them because our minds are sinful and they don't understand everything like God understands. But God is sovereign over the universe. He's the one that has established the laws and commanded all men to obey. And He will not stand idly by and allow His law to be ignored and broken without any consequences. Paul says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will reap. So the God of the Bible takes note of every single action, every single word that we speak, every single thought. Now, now that blows our mind away. I can't even remember my own thoughts. But yet God remembers every single thought that you and I have. But yet that shows how great God is, how glorious He is, how all-knowing He is. That we have a great God who's beyond our comprehension. Our minds are but a pea compared. And a pea would really and truly be too big compared to God's. But yet He will judge man. For his rebellion. He will judge man for his rejection of him and the gospel. As we have often looked at, that God is a holy, holy, holy God, and we are unholy men deserving to be cast out of his presence, and he would be just and righteous in casting out every single human being from his presence because every single human being has sinned. But God did not leave man without any hope. We know the scripture teaches us that God sent His only begotten Son into the world to save the world. And even though man breaks God's righteous law and deserves damnation, God has provided an antidote for our problem of sin. And that antidote is Christ. He is the Savior of the world. Now don't think that God will accept any other righteousness than the righteousness of Christ. Our righteousness doesn't matter how good we may think it is. The scripture tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. And God says, you must love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He will accept nothing less. Now... Are you and I able to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? No. But is there one that has loved the Lord our God with all his heart, mind, and strength? Yes. And that one was Christ. That one fulfilled that particular law. And therefore he earned righteousness because he was sinless. And he gives us his righteousness so that we can say that I have loved the Lord My God, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, because He's done it for me. He was my substitute. And He gave me His righteousness to where I can say, therefore, I have done that. Not I personally, but yet I've done it because it's been applied to me because Christ has done it. But yet sinful man attempts to mock God by assuming that he can offer God other things. Instead of total heart surrender, 
And this is what the problem was with the rich young ruler when he came to Christ. He thought that his profession of faith would be enough to please Christ. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And remember what Christ told him? Keep the commandments. And he boastfully said what? I have kept all of them. Man, can you imagine? Here is a human being saying, I've kept every single commandment. But he had not. And we know he had not because Christ revealed that to him. Christ said, okay, go sell everything you got and come follow me. And the scripture tells us that he went away sadly. Why? Because he had broken all the commandments. He loved himself more than he loved God. And he loved himself more than he loved the, uh, the, his fellow man. So therefore, he quite clearly revealed that he had not kept any of the commands of God. And that he had broken, we say, the two tables, love God and love your fellow man. He was filled with pride. But so many are just like him, thinking that they can do something to please God. They can attend worship a few times, pray at a meal, be morally good. And that will fulfill the requirements that God has set for going to heaven. If that's what you think, then you have missed what Scripture teaches pertaining to salvation. Such thinking mocks God. He isn't satisfied with mere religion. The Pharisees thought that way. They thought they could please God with their laws. I've told you many times how many laws they had. Some 633 laws. And they thought that if they kept these laws, that they would please God. But yet, we see they had no true relationship with God, who they claimed to be their God, because they didn't know Christ. Charles Spurgeon, the great pastor there in London for many, many years, said, Does God accept your heartless sacrifice, your meaningless words, your empty phrases, No, he is not to be mocked by mere outward religious forms and ceremonies. It's sad that churches are full of lost members. Large memberships, but few attend on a given Sunday. Last Sunday evening, our uh, Associational Baptist yearly meeting was held and I ventured over there. First, it was sad that we had less than 40. 60 churches we have in our association, less than 40 people. I counted, I think, 37. And the only reason we had 37, because I think there was seven in the um, musical group that sang. Not even the pastors show up. Well, I got our book of reports and I began to thumb through our book of reports, annual report, showing everything that transpired over the years. And I began to look at the churches, the 60 churches, and began to look at the membership and the attendance on a given Sunday. I did not find a single church except one that had 70% attend on a given Sunday of their church membership. Most of them were below 50%. Matter of fact, I was going to bring it in here and read some of them off, and I left it in my office. Only one church had 
more given on given Sunday than their membership. That's this church. None of the other churches. Now, why is that the case? It's because churches are full of unregenerate members that have never come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And these churches have members that show up every now and then because they have no true love to worship the living God because they have not been changed by the Spirit of God to where they long to worship with God's people. God keeps a record of everything that man does. He keeps a record of every seed that we have ever sown. And you might be thinking that nobody ever notices. But God notices. God notices what we do. He sees everything that we do. And we should be satisfied with that as Christians. How often have you said to yourself, You fool. Why did I do such a stupid thing? Now, why do you scorn yourself in such a manner? It's because you realize that you did something wrong. And you realize that you are reaping what you sowed. Morgan Freeman, in the movie The Shawl Tank Redemption, and I wouldn't advise watching it other than the TV episode of it. When he is brought before the parole board as he's been in prison for many, many years, he says these words when he asks about his own crime. I look back on the way I was then, a young, stupid kid who committed a terrible crime, that kid is long gone. This old man is all that is left. I got to live with that. How true. How true that is. This verse tells us that every person will reap. What he sows. The saved as well as the lost. Why? Because God is not mocked. God is true to his word. A person can not sow evil seeds and then say, God, forgive me. And suddenly have everything instantly go away. Everyone. Not maybe. Everyone will reap what he has sown. Every single one of us. We see this in the Old Testament reading that we read a few moments ago there in Proverbs chapter 1. We see, he says, Because I have called and you refused. I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded because you distrained all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. And then he goes on and he says, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your tender comes, when your terror comes like a storm. 
and your destruction comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish comes upon you. So we see that God speaks about the future of those who refuse to listen to His Word. Those who ignore His counsel and reproof. Now why is this principle of reaping and sowing true? It's true because the God of this universe is a just God who knows all that happens on the earth and He keeps a record. And He sees all things. Psalms 56, 8 says, You number my wonderings, put my tears in a bottle. They are not, are they not in your book? The psalmist understood. He says, all of this is in your book. You have it all recorded. And that gave him great comfort. Now the second thing that I want to see is that God's moral laws are not to be ignored or taken lightly. For he says, whatever a man sows, he reaps, also reaps. Why? Because God is a just God. We want justice and He's just. He does not leave us to ourselves when it comes to right and wrong or good and evil. He has actually stamped on every man's heart His truth. He's given every man a conscience. But Romans 1 tells us that all men suppress the truth. In their sinful nature, in their unconverted ways, they suppress the truth. They deny the truth. Friday night, Brad Wheeler had some of the students from Belhaven over to his house and invited us to join him as we watched an apologist confront students at a few universities. It's a video in the name of it, How to Answer a Fool. And it's amazing to watch and listen to what people say when you confront them with what the Bible says. Of course, most of them were atheists. Most of them wanted to reject the Bible. Most of them did not believe that it was the Word of God. So therefore, the Word of God calls them what? A fool. A fool says in his heart, there is no God. So they're, they're a fool. That's what God says. So how do you answer a fool? Well, the only way that you can answer a fool is with the Word of God. You don't come down to their level. You don't try to give them evidence from man's way of thinking. No, you deal with them with the Word of God. Of course, if they don't believe the Word of God, then it's almost hopeless to deal with them. All you can do is continue to point out to them that they're sinners and God says, unless you repent, you will spend eternity in hell. And you continue over and over again, call them to repentance and what the Word of God says. See, God is a good God. And His law has been established. And we see that in in farming. If a farmer plants corn, what will it reap, children? If he plants corn, what's it going to reap? It's going to reap corn, right? Why? Because that's the way God has ordained things. If you plant butter beans, it's going to reap butter beans. Now, if we were to sow tares, and this person that sowed the tares began to pray all that he wanted for wheat, what will he get? Tares. 
Why? Because he planted tares. See, God doesn't change his law. So if we plant tares so that wheat comes up, it won't ever happen because God has established that law. We also see this providentially. A lazy man neglects his business. He sleeps in when he ought to be at work. He's careless in his affairs. And eventually, it goes from bad to worse, and he ends up bankrupt because he was a lazy man. He reaps what he sows. Or one indulges himself in the lust of the flesh. Soon, his marriage and his family is destroyed. Or if one is a drunkard, Alcohol becomes his God, and sooner or later he loses all that he said he loved. I could go on and on, but I think you grasp the general moral government of God. A man's own conscience tells him to expect what he does will come home. Some of you have heard the old saying, their chickens have come home to roost. In other words, experiencing the unpleasant of the effects of their actions. Though they, many, seek to lull their conscience to sleep. Often it wakes up and shakes them with a great thunder when it's too late to do anything about it. I've seen this happen a few times in my life. I had a Sunday school teacher that I liked very much. He was a lawyer. He did well for himself. He eventually became the county district attorney. I wish I could say I helped him get elected. I may have hindered some from voting him, telling the truth. He put my face on his poster and said, Thomas Wynn is for me. I don't know if that got him any votes or not. But the sad thing about it is that he began to fall away from God's truth and fell into sin. I once even went to him and spoke to him about certain sins I'd heard about in his life. I wish I could say that he listened to me and he repented. But eventually he found himself removed from office and jobless. Had his law license removed. And he ended up on the coast selling used cars. And finally his conscience was awakened to his sin, but it was too late. He was reaping what he had sowed. Have you ever thought, what if God's law was reversed? In other words, what if man was allowed to sin without any consequences whatsoever. Now, in some ways, we must say that we're seeing that in our day-to-day. I mean, what's happening? Crimes escalating. Looters are stealing. Last week, I was listening to news, and I missed the figure, so I looked it up, and 100 billion... Did you hear that? 100 billion is being lost to shoplifters and looters. 
in our day. I can't even imagine that. $100 billion and stores are closing down in your liberal cities because of the looting. And people are moving away from these cities. The very fabric of our society is being shattered. Why? Because man ignores God's law. But what if it was true that there was no difference in being good and kind and generous and mean and evil? Well, I don't think we can totally comprehend or imagine what it would be like. See, we need to be thankful for a God who judges actions and words and even thoughts and for giving us this particular principle, He that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reach everlasting life. See, God's Word is our ultimate court of appeal. For it says to us that one day Christ will gather His wheat, but He will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. Matthew 3.12 See, Revelation speaks of the truth. The books were opened and the dead were judged out of those which were written in the book according to their works. So we see that judgment is coming. And this is a very serious truth. For this is the Word of God. He says that after death comes judgment. Comes an accountability. And that the judgment seat all must appear. All must appear. Saved and lost. For every act we commit, we must be tried. And if these acts have not been paid for, then our punishment will be everlasting damnation. As the famous pastor of Bellevue said years ago, R.G. Lee, when he preached on the sermon of Jezebel and Ahaz, payday someday. How true it is. Payday someday. Some look around and say, this isn't what I observe in life. The wicked seem to prosper and I, trying to be righteous, seem to sputter alone. Well, the psalmist thought that. In Psalms 37, we won't take time to read it. You can write it down and read it later. In Psalms 73, he had that kind of thinking. And I must admit, at times, this principle of sowing and reaping seems not to be working. Sometimes those who sow evil seem to reap good. And those who sow good seem to have bad providence. So therefore, what do we do? Well, what we have to first realize is that we cannot be short-sighted. For it is surefire thing that God's Word is true. It's infallible. And His judgments are perfect. Though we might not see the fruit immediately. It bothered the psalmist. 
And that's why he wrote 37 and 73. It bothered him to see the wicked prospering in his day while he was suffering. But then he remembered something that changed his entire perspective for he ends and says, Then I remembered their end. See, when he remembered their end, in other words, what happened to him, his perspective changed. They, they appeared to be free. They appeared to be prosperous and arrogant. But the final chapter had not been written. Remember that fruit doesn't come immediately. You don't plant an apple tree and expect apples the next week, Right? Matter of fact, I didn't know how long it took for an apple seed to be planted, to grow into a tree and then produce an apple. It's shorter than I really thought. Eight to ten years. But that's not immediate. I mean, eight to ten years is some time. Of course, the older I get, eight to ten years don't seem like a long time. The wise man realizes that what he does today will eventually bring about a good harvest. He might not bring it immediately, but it will bring about eventually. Now finally, how does the principle of sowing and reaping square with God's grace? Well, first notice that both of these truths are taught about the, uh, by the Apostle Paul here in Galatians. So we know that it's not something that contradicts each other. And of course we know that grace primarily deals with that of our salvation, our forgiveness, eternal life. And on the other hand, reaping what you sow has two dimensions. An eternal one and a temporal one. Eternal one, you can reap eternally what you sowed in life. And that's the main principle that we see that Paul is addressing here as far as reaping and sowing. And those outside of God's grace will perish. If you sow wickedness of unbelief, you will reap the judgment of God. If you don't repent, you will be punished for your sinful actions. That's a promise by God. And the other dimension, temporal. You experience on earth the fruit of what you do here on earth. See, there are consequences to forgiven sin. Just because your sins are forgiven, that does not mean there's no consequences. We see that in the life, clearly, of David. David committed great sin against Bathsheba, against Uriah, against the people of Israel, but most importantly, against God. Was David forgiven? Yes, he was forgiven. We sang about it a little while ago when we sang about God's mercy and, and the very words of Psalm 51 are in that particular hymn. He was forgiven. But did David experience consequences to his sin? He did not experience eternal damnation for him. He was forgiven. But he experienced the consequences here on this earth. His children 
became rebels. The things that happened in his family and God clearly told David, even after he'd been forgiven, he said, what you did in secret, your children will do publicly. And read the life of David's children and what they participated in and did. And even his own son, Absalom, rose up against him and tried to dethrone him. Sad what happened. Those were the consequences of his sin. Keep that in mind. Yes, we are forgiven as Christians, but yet there are consequences. When a child disobeys, a wise parent disciplines this child. Even if the child is repentant. I mean, if you're a parent, you understand that. They've done something wrong and you say, let's go back there into the room and and discuss this and deal with this. And what are they saying? I won't ever do it again, mommy. I won't ever do it again, daddy. They're, They're repentant, right? But does that keep you from disciplining them? I hope not. Because a lot of times what they're saying is simply to get out of being disciplined. But yet you must show them that sin brings consequences. Now, of course, after you have dealt with them, after you have disciplined them in a biblical manner, then you must also show to them restoration. And pull them into your arms and love them and say, I love you, that's why I have disciplined you. And I don't want you to disobey me and I don't want you to disobey God. I want you to live for God and I want you to have a happy life. And therefore I must discipline you so that you understand that sin brings consequences. Repentance doesn't dismiss consequences to sin. I've shared with many of you about Michael Champion, who I talk to regularly, who is serving a lifetime sentence there in prison. God has converted him, it appears, a number of years ago. But he will continue to serve his time in prison. I continue to pray that God might eventually release him. He's been in prison for 40 years. And God appears to have changed his heart. But yet, he understands this of the consequences of his sin. When we sow evil seed, we are not released from the bad fruit that that evil seed produces. So the Bible gives us many warnings about the future of present sin. And Proverbs is filled With these warnings, I hope and I expect the Lord, if He leaves me here, beginning in January, we will begin going through Proverbs. But it's filled with many warnings. It's it's filled with many warnings about seductive women and how a father instructs his son, do not look at the seductive woman. She will destroy your life. But how many have looked upon them and they have destroyed their life? About listening to the wicked advice of others and not listening to your father's counsel. Over and over again, the proverb speaks of this. Also, there's powerful illustrations and visions and 
and parables recorded in the Bible to warn us against sin. Our choices have consequences. Don't say, just one more time, and then I'll stop. Because you won't stop. Individuals who have that mindset and sinful actions can easily allow these things to be linked together as a chain of sin and it becomes a pattern of sin in their life, even as a Christian. It's been said, sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an action and reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. How true that can be. We need to live each day in godly fear. And Jesus taught us what? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It doesn't say, get me out of this temptation. In other words, we're not to suppose to wait until the temptation comes to cry out to God. We are to anticipate the temptation every day. And we are to beg God every moment moment of every day. Every morning when we get up, we should pray, God, lead me not into temptation. I know the temptation's out there. Lead me not into it. Keep me from temptation. See, we have a tendency to assume at the beginning of each day that everything's going to be wonderful today. And I'll be able to figure out how to deal with the problems when they come. But when they come, we realize how foolish we were in not praying as we should have. In not anticipating the temptations that will come our way. We need to be ready for them. And we need to do what? We need to pray that God will give us grace and strength and help us and give us wisdom to be able to deal with the temptations as they come to us each day. We must begin each day alert to the potential crisis, to the potential disaster, to the potential temptation that will come. What is that called? That's called working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Don't be foolish. Heed the warnings. Psalms 32.9 says, Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must curb its bit and mouth, or it will not stay near you. Don't be like a mule. I've heard of people, farmers old days, they said they used to take a two by four and hit a mule upside the head. I don't know if you ever did that or not, Mr. Jimmy. But some have. Why? Because they're stubborn. And that's what the psalmist is saying. Don't be like a mule. He also says, For whom I have loved, I will reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. He's speaking to the church. 
to God's people who have broken communion with Him. He says, through the reproof and discipline, through that, I'm knocking. I want to be with you. I want to commune with you. I want to eat with you. I want to fellowship with you. And you should want to be with me. See, we ought to have a desire to be in communion with God daily. And this glorious invitation comes especially to those who need to repent and be restored. All who have squelched the Spirit of God. Who have more or less shut the door to Christ out of our life. We must repent, as He says. Listen to the reproof. and Be disciplined. So that zealous and repentance comes. What about you? Have you heeded the words of what Paul says? If we're not through with this passage, we'll be looking at it for a couple more weeks because there's much more here. A lot of positive things that I want us to see as well. But this is more negative that he's talking about here as far as understanding what we weep. So we reap. Therefore, we must repent. We must seek God. Christians have the power to do that, but lost people don't. And if you're lost today, you need to seek Christ. You need to look to Christ alone who is able to save you from your sins. To trust in Him, to believe upon Him who's able to deliver us from our bondage, deliver us from temptation, Deliver us from all of our sins that we have committed so that we might have the relationship with God that we need to be able to live this Christian life. I pray that you may come to Christ today. Look to Christ who's ready to save if you will look to Him and Him alone. And may we as Christians not forsake Him, but look to Him every day, every moment, understanding this wonderful truth that He teaches us here. Not only the negative side of what we sow, we reap, but the positive side. If we sow righteousness, we will reap righteousness. May we live a godly and holy life as we go into this world and be used of Him to point others to Christ. Let us pray. Father, how true this passage is as far as sowing and reaping. Give us understanding. Cause us to see the consequences of our sin. Cause us to see that the consequences of our sin is what put Christ on the cross so that our sins might be paid for so that we might be able to have a relationship with the living God who created us for that very purpose. Speak to our hearts, Father. Work in the lives of those who need Christ. Open their eyes to see Christ, that He is the Savior, that He is able to save no matter what sin we have committed, that He has paid the price on the cross, and that He's able to give everlasting life. This we pray in Christ's name and for His sake.